This is Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan Garber. This week, we interview Blake Simmons, current director of the Joint Bioenergy Institute, on his experience at Tulane University and his experience with the qual. Okay, so Blake, how did you initially become interested in science? Well, that's a very expensive question. No, it actually started when I was very young. I uh, remember coming across a chemistry set back in the olden days uh, in the 70s. And it was one of those DIY kits, uh, progenitor sets. And so it had basic acid-based chemistry, probably things that a kid my age at that time should never be allowed to play with. Lots of things that foamed, lots of things that sizzled, lots of things that emitted (laughs) gases of noxious uh, smells and whatnot. And so I fell in love with chemistry, uh, probably from that, just from the excitement and the thrill of it, of mixing things together and seeing something happen. So who got you the chemical side? My dad. Did, uh, he, yeah. did he do it because he knew you already had an affinity for science? or He because... probably just wanted me to stop annoying him. <laughs> Give me something to uh, go play with and occupy the idle time. So, so okay, so you get the chemistry set. Yep. Um, and... I'm going to take a little bit of, a t- of time with this question. So you yeah. get the chemistry set. So your dad gave it to you to distract you. Um, or maybe it's just a genuine gift. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You have to ask him. Um, it's a nice thing for him to do. And you're in awe of it. How did you make the connection that like the chemistry set was linked to this entire field? Um, well, I think back then uh, when I was, I think, let's see, I was probably like nine years old when I got it. Um I didn't make the connection at first, right? It was just another toy to play with that that instead of making a beep or a bloop or a splash actually did something different, right? And it probably wasn't until uh, junior high and high school where we actually started taking formalized topics in the form of classrooms and textbooks that actually became manifested in a way that could be internalized and understood as a separate phenomenon. Up until that point, it was always just kind of a, a hobby, yeah. right? Or, or something to do that's fun and, oh, you won't believe this, look what I can do, and so, show it off. So were you always, like, a tinkerer, like, kind of after the chemistry set, like, and before you kind of put that together? Were you always kind of a tinkerer? I wouldn't, I, I hesitate to slur tinkerers with my association with them, but it would be, um, they're much more high-profile and legit than I am. The, uh, I think... It was more of just a fascination and a curiosity, right? That um, what different things I could mix together. And so it was, you had the canned experiments, right? Where they gave you these little cards and it said, mix A and B and observe and mix A and D together. And then I would just say the heck with it and I'd mix it all together. <laughs> and it turned out to be a brown, nauseating goo. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it was more of just the, the, the curiosity element of it. The what if, right? Question mark was always my core motivation. And then it wasn't until later where I could understand why, in addition to the what, uh, that that really was exciting as well. When you were in high school and got that, um, like, initial, like, uh, like, you started taking, like, your core mm-hmm. science classes, uh, mm-hmm. did you find that you were necessarily good at them as well? Well, I, I thought I was good at them. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think... You know, self-delusion is also a very powerful force in the universe. Um, I, I would say I had a proclivity to them and an affinity to them, right? 
mm-hmm. that it was it wasn't hard for me to get excited about them. Yeah. Uh, and as a high schooler, you know, apathy has a tendency to rule the day. And uh, oh, I guess I'll go to drama class, or I guess I'll go to history and do all that. It was always exciting to go to chemistry, right? And back then, it was really rudimentary inorganic chemistry and the the, the toothpick and gumdrop <laughs> model builds and things of that sort. Uh, and that combined with chemistry and biology, right? Uh, and physics, because that, that became my core three that I really liked in high school. Um, those were three classes I didn't have to worry about getting excited about and being motivated to study, which then led to the good grades, which would then be an indicator that I was quote unquote good at something. Okay, one more question on high school. Were there any, um, other than your own like excitement about the field, about sciences, about biology and physics and chemistry, of course, um, were there any teachers that sort of made that exciting for you, more exciting for you? Or were your parents involved at all in that excitement? Uh, well, I mean, the parents were supportive in things like science fairs. Yeah. Right? And they didn't let me destroy things. Oh, and I, I also forgot uh, building... Um, Model rockets was another thing that I really enjoyed. And blowing stuff up, which is, you know, always a tendency of a misspent youth. The, um, I'd say my parents were generally very supportive of education at large. They were both uh, college degree. My dad's a dentist. My mom was a teacher. Mm-hmm. So they, the, they were very supportive of everything to do with education and learning. And then, you know, you, you always have these dips and valleys of excitement and apathy as you go through your high school career um and so mine was always alternating between drama debate music science and it would go in kind of a uh conflicting sine wave pattern uh and so but all throughout they were supportive of all of it right? mm-hmm. and so yeah it was more about the the support from home than it was mm-hmm. about the incentives from school from there in college, that changed entirely. It was, yeah, but so, I don't want to go there. No, no, no. We can, we can, actually, that's exactly where we're going next. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, in high school, you're planning on going to college, I'm assuming. You go no, right away. Actually, no, no. Well, I mean, okay. uh, so I joined the Navy right out of high school. Right out of high school. Yeah, so I joined the Navy to get out of Nebraska. Uh, so let's <laughs> be clear about that. Okay. And, um, and so I joined as an enlisted grunt, and, uh, but I think, uh, my background, or at least exposure, or quote-unquote education, got me to where I, the billet that I was in the Navy, because I was a nuclear propulsion operator. It was a six-year stint in the Navy. The first year and a half is learning how to not blow up a nuclear reactor, which is always a good thing. Uh, But, um, you know, that background in math, physics, chemistry, they have this standardized test Mm-hmm. Uh, called the Armed Services Vo- Vocational Aptitude Battery Test, the ASVAB, if I remember it. It's a great acronym. Probably, well, it's probably ASVAB. They probably don't <laughs> accentuate the ASVAB of it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they, uh, I scored very well on that, and that got, that got me into the nuclear mm-hmm. rating. Is that a test that everyone has to take? Everybody coming in, yeah, that's okay. part of the recruitment, so they know uh, where to send you. Gotcha. Right, whether you're you're qualified to do job A or job B, um, and so they give you a designation that they use as a preliminary assignment, and then you go through boot camp, and then you go to your billet, uh, which is your next step in becoming a, a sailor. So why did you join the Navy? I grew up in a very small town, um, 
and I didn't want to be a farmer. My whole family on my mom's side are farmers. No offense, Uncle Bob. The, uh, <laughs> if you're listening. If you're listening. the um, And it just wasn't for me. And so, and I, I hate snow. I hate cold. And my dad actually was in the Navy and, uh, and he was an officer uh, in the Navy. I remember dressing up in his old dress uniforms and thinking that was pretty cool. Um, so I would say it was a happy circumstance of poor decision making on my point that led to the Navy <laughs> outcome. Uh, and uh, but I never looked back. It turned out to be a really great decision. Okay, so um, you said you spent six years in the Navy. Um, so you are finishing your stint in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And actually, and I got booted out. You got booted out. I got booted out. Uh, <laughs> How did that happen? I got uh, I hurt myself. I blew out my left knee. Um, I was all set to go into the Nuclear Enlisted Commissioning Program and go to Georgetown to become an officer in the nuclear Navy. And then I blew out my ACL and PCL in uh, just a clumsy accident, got kicked out on a medical discharge, and then I was in the greater Seattle area because I was stationed in Puget Sound Naval Shipyard outside of Bremerton and figured that let's just go to the University of Washington in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And uh, there you go. That's how I got into the University of Washington, started my uh, university. You started university and um, did you know what you were going to major in immediately? Or like you already had a wealth of experience before mm-hmm. actually starting mm-hmm. college. Mm-hmm. So did that sort of influence your decisions? Well, I knew what I didn't want to be, right? Because when I went back in, you know, high school, I was like, oh, I want to be a lawyer or a doctor or anything like that. And uh, soon realized that that wasn't for, for me, right? And so I knew that I wanted to do something in engineering because I, uh, I really liked engineering from the Navy experience. And so, actually, my first year at the University of Washington, uh, I went around to the different engineering departments and talked to the department heads. And Bruce Finlayson, if you want to talk about somebody who made an impact in my life, he was one of them. Um, I talked to him, and he was former president of AICHE, American Institute of Chemical Engineers, uh, a while back. And he really connected with me on what chemical engineering was all about. And so, after meeting with him... Yeah. I decided that I would become that track, a chemical engineer. Did you know in college that you were going to pursue a PhD? Nope. No, you're. What? What made <laughs> you? <laughs> what did you think you were going to do uh, other than do grad school? Well, I think um, I had envisioned like, like uh, well, let's work in an engineering plant. Like let's work for Dow, Dupont, one mm-hmm. of those standard environments, and. Actually, I, I won an award in my junior year, the, the Dow Outstanding Junior in Chemical Engineering, and I actually spent some time in a polyolefin plant outside of Baton Rouge in Plaquemines Parish, and uh, really liked that experience. And so the, uh, there was a great tension in me about whether I would go on to take a job. I got offered jobs at Dow, and actually one of them, uh, my mom and dad divorced right after I got done with high school. My mom was living out in California. Uh, and up in Pittsburgh, California, they have a Dow plant there, or did. I still don't know if it's there or not. And so it was really attractive, you know, go okay. and uh, spend some time working near my mom. My sister was living with her at the time, too. So that was a pretty big sell. And then by the same time, I was encouraged by a lot of my professors at the University of Washington to go on and get a PhD. And, you know, John Berg, uh, who has strong ties to Berkeley, uh, Les Babb, who was the pioneer in dialysis, who I worked with um, at the University of Washington quite a bit. 
And, you know, at the end of the day, it was just kind of a, am I ready to take a job and grow up or do I still want to play? And the, the deciding factor, I applied to a lot of schools, got into a lot of schools, but I fell in love with New Orleans uh, the summer that I worked outside of Baton Rouge. Like every weekend we'd go to New Orleans. Cause, uh, of course. <laughs> right? And um, I got a Board of Regents Fellowship uh, from the state of Louisiana to attend Tulane in New Orleans. And then I was like, well, there this you go, it's it. a sign. Yeah. And so I ended up at Tulane in New Orleans. Did you know who you were going to work with? I thought I did. <clears throat> okay. But so because I was I was very interested in the biology, the intersection of biology and chemical engineering and chemistry, right? That, that's a lot of the work that I did in the undergrad labs. I worked with Mary, in Mary Lidstrom's lab, uh, you know, the queen of anaerobic everything, and uh, look at TCE degradation in anaerobic environments. And I thought I really wanted to go into more of biology. I really like biomaterials. Buddy Ratner at UW uh, uh, fascinated me, and I emulated him because I thought he was a great example of how to bring interdis- interdisciplinary approaches to very complex problems and come up with some great solutions to them. And I thought, well, I want to be at that intersection. And so when I when I came down and interviewed at Tulane, there's a professor there, Kim O'Connor, who is looking at breast cancer and prostate cancer cell lines in microgravity environments for NASA missions. And so they would actually have these low tumble circular reactors uh-huh. and you'd go to where you'd emulate zero G at the center of that rotating mass, right? And uh, look at the profiles and biomarkers and signatures from the different tumor cell lines as a function of that environment and see if you could develop better therapeutics and understanding based on how they behave. And so I was all set to go work in Kim's lab uh, at Tulane. And then uh, I also had uh, delusions of grandeur and going into an MD PhD program as well. Right? And so I was, I was taking classes at the medical school in downtown Tulane while going to chemical engineering classes at the Uptown campus. And I quickly realized that I just friggin' hated the medical school environment. Uh, Why did you hate it? Creme, memorize, regurgitate, uh, kind of just spoon-fed jackals uh, <laughs> that I didn't care to associate with very much. Because um, it was a joint program between molecular and cellular biology and chemical engineering. Right. So I was really sold on that. I just blew that all up at the end of the first year. Um, something you said it kind of made me want to uh, ask another question. Was there anything, like when you started your PhD and decided to like play, I guess, mm-hmm. um, was there oh, anything? Keep playing. Keep playing. Yeah. Um, was there anything that you, um, like, did you have any global views, like global outlooks? Were there any specific problems that you wanted to tackle at that time uh, that were especially You're looking for that interesting grand vision, to you? Right? Yes. And did you have it? <clears throat> so I'm going to let you in on a little secret about it. Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> and also whoever listens to and whoever's us. listening. Yeah. I, I get asked a lot about, okay, Blake, look at where you are. Look at where you started. How did you get to where you are? Right. And was yeah. there any kind of grand vision and mission that you linked yourself up to and took planned, deliberate steps to be, you know, very strategic and, and, uh, execution oriented in terms of implementing that vision? Nothing like that. It could be further from the truth. I, have had a series of just outstanding opportunities and working with outstanding people uh, that have opened a lot of doors for me that I have walked through some and not walked through others. Uh, Obviously, I'd like to save the planet, not kill the planet. I'd like humans. I'd like to see our species survive. I think death is a bad thing. I think injury is a bad thing. So, you know, I'd like to 
prevent those as much as possible. Uh, and, and that's pretty much my overarching philosophy is let, let's try to make things better than when we found them. Yeah. Right. Um, but was I keyed into making a renewable energy boost? Was I, was that my core motivation all throughout my life? Absolutely not. Uh, but it was part of the overall vision that I had and motivation for doing what I did. And I just love engineering and science. Yeah. Right? It's like do something good, do what you love. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be fortunate enough to, to perhaps do both. Yeah. Right. And, and be able to not live on the street. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it, it's been a very interesting uh, path of random walks. Yeah. Okay. So back to uh, grad school. So mm-hmm. you choose uh, you choose sort of a different path. You mm-hmm. work with another professor. At the end of year one. Yeah. At the end of year one. Which is very tumultuous, right? It was yeah. a, uh, that was not commonly done, right? It's usually not done a lot yeah. in grad school. You basically go through and You pick and someone go. and you right. stay with them. Right. Um, but um, because the other important part, and this is a degree of freedom that I was afforded by getting that Board of Regents Fellowship, my funding to pay for me at Tulane wasn't dependent on any one specific grant. It was dependent at basically the Board of Regents Fellowship are the oil company's uh, guilt money uh, that the state of Louisiana squeezed out of them uh, as part of compensation for destroying the Gulf of Mexico and the shoreline and the way of life in Louisiana. <clears throat> they continue to do so very well, by the way. Um, they continue to, to, to destroy, destroy the, the way, way of life, life in Louisiana. Yeah. <laughs> If you ever get a chance... It's uh, not funny. I'm laughing because it's not funny. (laughs) It's not funny. But but anyway, um, because I wasn't dependent on a source of funding or a grant that was written with me in mind or with me as a placeholder, that lateral freedom of being able to transition between advisors wasn't so insurmountable. Mm -hmm. And so, as fate would have it, and Kim, thank you for everything that you did, uh, uh, the value of everything that you and your life does. If you're listening. If you're listening. Um, uh, VJ John uh, was just coming back from a stint role as an NSF program lead mm-hmm. and coming back to Tulane. And uh, there's a really good friend of mine, Glenn Irvin, who was working in his lab and talking to Glenn and kind of specking out what they were doing. And they were working in uh, certain energy sectors like uh, hydrate desalination techniques, uh, nanostructured materials using enzymes, um, using surfactants to do soft uh, self-assembly to create hardened interfaces, uh, the abiotic interface. Um, and so got really interested in that work. And so uh, petitioned VJ to see if I could come and work in his lab, and he graciously accepted. And uh, that was a fundamental inflection point in my trajectory. Okay. Uh, I have one question before we move to okay. like, the main subject, and I'm actually going to yeah. pause. <laughs> I'm sorry uh, that I went on this whole big No, I, I love it. That's yeah. what that's what this is all about. It's kind of a broad question, but generally your grad school experience, mm-hmm. like, did you, would you say like overall it was positive? Were there ups and downs? One of the best times of my life. Okay. Period. Okay. Great. Yeah. That's pretty much all best we need. Time of your life. <laughs> one of the best times of my life. Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. Was, uh, I mean, come on. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in New Orleans, number one, uh, so which is one of the best cities on the planet. Number two, you're young, so you can appreciate everything that the city has to offer. Uh, number three, you're, you're, you're able to work on something that you found compelling, lucky enough to change course in a dramatic way and go into a, in a new field. And um, I mean, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was an extraordinary time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So the there's one part of grad school that I think everyone kind of has a story to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the qualifying exam, which the Laura qual. and I the qual. Yeah. yeah, which Laura and I introduced um, in an earlier segment. Um, as intolerable, uh, <laughs> unnecessarily rough. Um, yeah. So was that a was it generally speaking was it a low point for you given that your overall experience was so great? The low point was leaving. Uh, <laughs> um, except that I, I met my wife and we got married at the end and moved to California. So that was that was a big uplift. Love you, honey. Um, if, if you're, you're listening. listening. <laughs> um, so my qualifying exam was not, uh, it was probably a little different than most, yeah. right? We, we didn't get called into a room and taken the task for four hours with, you know, professors throwing spitballs at us, right? And in fact, it was, it was more like Lore's qualifying exam where you had to write a proposal and defend it in front of, a, in front of that group, yeah. right? And so... So I'm going to interrupt you. So yes. typically at the time, qualifying exams were more like question, answer, regurgitate information. Well, and, and, and even there were, I knew there were some uh, universities and uh, and whatnot that you had to take actual tests. Oh. Right? That, yeah. that, that they looked at your core competencies and made sure that, you know, you could walk and chew gum. And then, <laughs> and then they wanted to see if you could handle the stress test, which is getting called in before this august body of professionals and knowledgeable, learned people and and defend the integrity and your intellect in that kind of crucible environment. Um, but at Tulane, it happened at the end of your second year, right? And mm-hmm. for, the, for that program, it was basically a make or break that would dictate whether you went on to a master's program and terminated then, or you got the green light to go on for your PhD, right? right? And so what they would do is, I'm pretty sure this is the case. You drew a topic out of a hat. What? Yeah, that uh, that was a research project. And so basically, every I, professor. I just want to say that that's the most New Orleans thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just imagining someone in a like magic suit. No, 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 no. that was a Riddler suit. Uh, <laughs> the old 1970s Batman version. Uh, it was actually each professor in the department would write a topic out on a, on a piece of paper. And I kid you not, they would cut it into a strip and they roll it up into a hat and he went up and he picked one oh and, and that's what you had to do with it. And so the idea was, right, I, it's very, I thought it was very ingenious at the time. Um, how do you approach a problem? And the goal is you have this topic, you go out and you research it, and then you write a research proposal that I think was limited to 20 pages about how you would, how you would do it including like milestones, including front of attack and everything like that. So it was a great way to one, see how you approached a challenge, how rigorous was your thinking around the scientific method, uh, how innovative were your approaches and what could the impact be and whether rooted in reality or not. Right. And so I, I got a fuel cell project. Uh, Peter Pintaro was a professor in the department and he provided this question. And it was basically, how could you go and screen for uh, next generation electrocatalyst for both the anode and the cathode uh, for a proton exchange membrane fuel cell, right? And it was, it was really cool because I, I, you know, I'd done some fuel cell science fair projects in high school uh, along with a fusion reactor 
<laughs> as well, uh, the two years that I did it. And uh, I, I just, and you basically get a whole summer to do it. You just go hog wild. You don't have anything else uh, other than what you choose to do. And you just dive and go total immersion. And I think you had like three months to go from beginning to end. And what is the end? Like it's just the written you, proposal? No, it's a written proposal. And then you have to go in and defend it like a proposal review ought to be. So when you were selecting your topic, um, was that, did you have a lot of anxiety at that moment? No. Um, no? You were game, just go and pick the topic. Yeah. Did you, like, did, were you worried that you were going to pick something that didn't excite you? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's always anxiety, right? What if I, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't happen. <laughs> like, go, I don't know, what would it be? I'm trying to pick, think of a topic that I would absolutely hate. Um, like, go find out how humans think. God. <laughs> or, or I don't know, go visit, go, you know, develop a way to uh, control the nutrient population in Louisiana. I've always been adaptable to topic and discipline. And so it's never been a concern that I would get something that I wouldn't be able to handle. Um, so I just, uh, that, that wasn't an anxiety. Like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get like a topic that's just going to uh, fuck me out. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, at the end of the day, uh, it, it goes down to your, it comes down to your motivation, right? Grad school can be a slog. There were a lot of people I knew mm-hmm. in grad school in the same environment, same department as I was that were not having the time of their lives. Uh, <laughs> I get it. Everybody handles things differently, right? We all bring a different set of perspectives to the table. We execute on those perspectives in a different way, and we lead to different outcomes. Um, but I I relish the opportunity to, to just go after something new, and the, the topic was fascinating because I got into Okay, we're going to get into nanostructured materials. We're going to do electrodeposition of different ternary and quaternary alloys. We're going to develop a high throughput screen for hydronium production and, and hydrogen activation. And uh, and it was great. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Just like when you get through graduate school, when you are done with your PhD, you better know more about your topic than anybody else in the building at the very least. Right, and you better sure as heck know more than your advisor on the topic, right? Um, despite what he or she may say or think <laughs> to the contrary, and that that's that matriculation, right, is a really cool process to be part of. And in my spot now, it's a really cool process to see other people go through as well. Yeah. Um, okay, so kind of back to the exam itself. Okay, yeah. so you had three months to prepare. Yeah about um i i mean it sounds like you had a lot of fun during your well remember fun back then (laughs) no back in the olden days when we were just inventing tires Uh, (laughs) right i mean so it was long nights in a library like actually going through going to the stacks making photocopies i think i had like three massive internet there was no internet yeah there was no pdf there was no e-file i mean we had email but it was like dial up you know Things you, I, the the intraweb was, you know, just some goofy thing that was uh, yeah. not so good. Um, but it was uh, it was photocopying and getting photocopying cards and going to the library and going to the stacks and spending days upon days at a library, and then correlating and cross referencing these things, three hole punching things, using a using the most rudimentary of word processors and then sometimes typewriters to to write things. So. Um, 
it was a completely different visceral experience, right? Um, you kids don't know how good you have it these days. <laughs> Apparently. Uh, <laughs> and I heard that over several times in my life as well. So it was as annoying then as it is now. But Was there anything that you did that sounds like a tremendous amount of extra effort that you had to put in compared to what we necessarily have to put in today? Was uh, there anything that you did explicitly to like blow off steam, um, just kind of relax during that New time? Orleans. What are you New Of course there was. Uh, and I was a sailor. And so there are a few things sailors know how to do well. Uh, they correlate very well with what you can do with the great excess in New Orleans. But, I mean, I got done in four years at, at Tulane. So even though there was plenty of opportunity to get sidetracked into things, that were not relevant to an academic pursuit, still got it done. Yeah. Uh, but I would say, you know, the extraordinary or Herculean part of it, right? And I went through grad school with a great group of colleagues and peers. And we we often talked as a group. We went out and had fun as a group. We went to the same experiences of the qualifying at the same time. So that camaraderie, mm-hmm. right, being in the trenches together and going through the suck, uh, that, that helped out tremendously. And so... I'd say if I notice anything differently now is that at least where we are in the world today, I see the graduate school experience and going through your thesis is somewhat more isolated and, and not so community oriented or at least having that, that sense of a collective whole. And maybe it's just my filter set onto the world that uh, reinforces that as such. But even some of the big groups that I know on campus uh, and other campuses across the, the world and I've sat on a lot of thesis committees uh, internationally and domestic. It seems a lot more isolated. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that can be a good thing and a bad thing. Well, I mean, maybe we'll get input from people that listen and we'll know. Yeah. Um, um, but, but it was, uh, and it's not like, you know, I had other peers in my lab or other peers in the, in the department, you know, pulling files for me or going to the library or anything like that. But it was, it, uh, I never felt isolated as part of it, and, and that is a good thing. Yeah. So, okay, when you had the proposal done and ready after the three-month period, um, what did you um, present it to your committee yep. that day that you submitted it? No, so you submit it because they have to have time to review it. Right. right? And <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think it was like two weeks after you submitted it, or maybe even a month after you submitted uh, They give you a certain amount of time yeah. to present your idea and your proposal and what it could mean. And then there's an equal amount of time for Q and A. Okay, what is uh, so it's like 50 minutes, 50 minute presentation, 50 minute Q and A, and then 50 minute deliberation. So it's like a three hour process, right? Yeah. How did you prepare for the um, Q and A session, your Q and A part of the call? Yeah, so I'm not a big practice person. Okay. Uh, I don't, I don't practice talks. I don't, I, I don't like really? them. Really? No, I don't. I've seen you give talks. They're very good. Uh, but I don't, I don't <laughs> practice. Um, I feel the best way to prepare for a talk is steeping yourself in everything about it and learning as much as you can about it, and then just go speak to that when mm-hmm. you're in the room. I I basically came down to like, what do I think they'll ask? Yeah. And put that there, and then went in my head about what uh, what the response would be. Uh, the, be- the 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 most prepared I had was having backup slides yeah. that went to what I thought the general topics would be because the holes are obvious in the research plan. Right? When you come up with it, you know your strengths and weaknesses, or you, you should you better your strengths and weaknesses pretty well. And where the holes are, you should know extremely well. If you don't, 
if you think there are no weaknesses, that's a red alert. <laughs> you, you, you need to go back and take a step back and reacquaint yourself with reality a little bit. Uh, and some of them you could do, you could bait the trap, right? You, right. Could, you, could, you could leave an obvious hole in the narrative because you would then be able to answer it very at, easily. At very, yeah. very, well, readily. Readily. Maybe not easily, depending <laughs> on the personalities in the room. And so you could, you could bait it a um, little bit. Is there any, do you have any specific, I know it's a long while back, but do you have any specific memories of like that, uh, that oral presentation, the Q&A session? Anything like that jumped out as you, at you? Well, as, I, like, I remember back then it was, you had to use uh, actual flip over slides, right? <laughs> and so I remember walking in with my binder full of slides and the binder falling on the ground and spilling and all the slides everywhere. So I remember that. Uh, uh, that was the most flummoxed I was for the entire day. But it was... Um, no, I, I remember thinking at the end of it that it was very anticlimactic. The, the questions that were asked, mm-hmm. and no offense to anyone on my committee that's listening, if you are, uh, <laughs> the questions they asked were pretty straightforward. There was no real humdinger that threw me for a loop. But I, I thought the whole process was kind of anticlimactic. Like at the, I thought the process of discovery and research was far more onerous than the execution and the defense. Sure. Yeah. I, that makes I, sense. I, I, it was it was far more, um, far more effort required to get to that point than it was to actually participate at that. Did that um, did that affect you at all after the? Oh, well, I went out and celebrated just like anything, <laughs> right? Yeah. What did you do to celebrate? It was New Orleans. What do you think? <laughs> Went out to dinner Taylor. and played bridge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, because at the beginning, right? We, we, you know, I think there's part of the hazing that goes on in grad school too, within any department or any collective. Where yeah. like, oh, I have a qualifier. It's going to be brutal. It's going to come at you. You're not going to expect it. <clears throat> it's all BS. Um, you know, if, if I, I firmly believe that anyone that gets to that point should be able to go through that point. Thank you so much for doing this interview with mm-hmm. us. Really, really appreciate it. And we appreciate your time. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Um, it's so, good to relive. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my final question, and this will be maybe brief, um, is, you know, after hearing about what we were doing with the podcast, I know that Laura had pitched the idea to you. Um, why did you agree to sit down with us and talk to us? Well, um, I number one, graduate students matter, right? Number two, uh, if I can, uh, if what I say or my experiences help inform anybody else, I think that's a good thing. Um, I'm committed to education, and so uh, part of paying it back or paying it forward is a good thing. Uh, plus, I think they're fun. Uh, you get to talk about things that you normally don't get to during the day. I haven't <laughs> thought about a lot of these uh, topics in a long time. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I, it's um, And I do other podcasts as well. Uh, we do one on science fiction and uh, movies and stuff. Oh, so well, We can advertise for it right now. <laughs> We're okay with that. <laughs> it's Robot Kraken, everyone. Uh, you can go check it, check it out. It's pretty interesting. But I think these are just fun, interesting venues to participate in. And plus, it gets me to know you better as well. So there you go. It's a two-way street.
Thanks so much for listening in. Next week, we bring together our series interviewees for a discussion on some of the overarching themes you've heard during the entire series. This is Megan signing out.